Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash But for now, let's get to the episode, part of the Evolution Exposed Exposed series, posted May 10, 2021, titled Evolution's Achilles Heel, Haldane's Dilemma, featuring Dr. Stern Cardinal. We are putting on a conference called Evolution Exposed. We pulled in experts on the subject of evolution for a total of 11 speakers and gave them just 15 minutes to give us their best. And on top of all that, a one-hour Q&A panel session. You're going to love Evolution Exposed. Anyone can refute evolution. Due to the zoo, to me and you. Call that a fairy tale. Not allowed to ask questions. It made evolution look ridiculous. That was the foolishness of atheism. I yeah. knew I was going to get corrected. No, I wasn't even listening to your answer. <laughs> this guy might be coming for you. Welcome to Apologia, and another installment of Evolution Exposed, Exposed. Our claim-by-claim investigation of the Creation All-Star Mega Seminar. If you'd like to catch the series from the beginning, tap on the playlist above my head. In his remaining time, Easy Zwayne wanted to share his silver bullet so that you too can put down any evolution-affirming werewolves out there. You know, a lot of Christians are often terrified when it comes to sharing the gospel with unbelievers because they never know when they might just come across uh, an unbeliever who's an evolutionist and they feel like evolution is their Achilles heel. It's that crazy thing that's going to stump them and keep them from being able to share the gospel clearly with an unbeliever. So today I want to share with you something called Haldane's Dilemma. So we began with, of course, the man who brought forth the dilemma called Haldane's Dilemma, John Haldane. John Haldane uh, lived from 1892 to 1964, and he was a British Indian scientist who was specifically known for his work in the study of physiology, genetics, evolutionary biology, and mathematics. And he made innovative contributions to the fields of statistics and biostatistics. Why does that sound like the first sentence of a Wikipedia article? Oh, because it is. Carry on reading for us, easy. This is Arthur C. Clarke. He credited him as perhaps the most brilliant science popularizer of his generation. Nobel laureate Peter Medawar called Haldane the cleverest man I ever knew. And Michael J.D. White said he was the most erudite biologist of his generation and perhaps of the century. So there you have it. That is who Haldane was. But easy. You jumped over the part of Wikipedia that specifically talks about your topic. In 1957, he articulated Haldane's dilemma, a limit on the speed of beneficial evolution, which subsequently proved incorrect. Oh, well, that's not good. One more tap, and he'd have learned that Mutu Kimura's landmark paper on neutral theory in 1968 built on Haldane's work to suggest that most molecular evolution is neutral, resolving the dilemma. EZ's silver bullet is a 60-year-old quandary that was completely resolved by the scientific community over 50 years ago. But let's not just take Wikipedia's word for it. Walk us through it, EZ. What was Haldane's dilemma? What was it that Haldane ended up realizing was a big problem for evolution? Well, first, we're going to begin with what are called base pairs. Uh, The human DNA uh, is made up of 3 billion base pairs. 
Now, evolutionists have for a long time told us that there's about a two to 3% difference between what they would call the glorious ape-like creature from which we descended. Glorious ape-like creature from which we descended? Nobody calls it that. And what they call modern man. Two to 3% difference. Now, today we're going to be a bit generous. I'm in a generous mood today. We're going to say there's just a 1% difference between the ape-like creature and modern human beings. Now, with that being the case, if there is a 1% difference and you have 3 billion base pairs within the human uh, DNA, that would mean that you would have to have 30 million base pair changes with what are called beneficial mutations in order to go from that ape-like creature over to modern man. Okay, the first substantive problem here is that most of these changes are neutral. Neutral theory and the related nearly neutral theory explore and explain how genetic changes with little or no effect on fitness and physiology can be fixed within a population. Given that most of the genome is not under strong selection, it's only about 5% according to a 2011 study of 29 mammalian genomes, we would expect the vast majority of those tens of millions of differences to have little, if any, functional significance. Now the next question is, when it comes to evolution, is what is the time involved? Because of course, time happens to be, if you would, uh, the golden calf of evolution. Well, evolutionists would tell us that it took somewhere between three to five million years for that ape-like creature to become modern man. Three to five million years. As I said earlier, uh, we are in a very generous mood today. So we're going to say that it actually took 10 million years in order for that to happen. Not three to five, as they say, but 10 million years. Not only generous, but it makes the math easier. Thanks, Easy. Now, changes happen, of course, generationally, and we know that a generation is about 20 years. So if you take that 20 years and you ask yourself, well, how many genetic mutations could have taken place within a generation? Uh, we're going to go ahead and say that there was one beneficial mutation per generation, one beneficial mutation every 20 years. I just want to comment here that this is completely contrary to other creationist claims, such as those made by John Sanford related to his genetic entropy hypothesis, where he claims that beneficial mutations virtually never occur. Mutations are pouring in, let's say, in the human genome, we get about 100 new mutations per generation per year. Um, most of those are, um, almost none of those are beneficial. When we take that and we divide it into the 10 million years that we are being generous with and saying that it took that ape-like creature to become a man, that would mean that you would only come up with 500,000 beneficial mutations. And how many do you need? You need 30 million. The math here ignores two important aspects of how evolution works, and this is the fundamental problems with arguments like this one. But before I get into those problems, I'll start by noting that Haldane's dilemma refers to Haldane's determination that under a very specific set of conditions, there is a limit to the rate at which beneficial mutations can accumulate within a population. In his own writings, Haldane describes a number of situations in which his framework does not apply, and subsequent developments in evolutionary theory, like neutral theory, have further limited the degree to which his work is generally applicable. So claiming, all the other problems aside, that Haldane's limit imposes some kind of universal or generalizable limit on the rate of evolution is itself not a valid claim. So that being said, 
The first problem with this math is that evolution is a massively parallel process. Within each generation, you don't have one person or one lineage mutating and potentially stumbling upon beneficial mutations. You have the entire population, everyone experiencing mutations all at the same time. The framing of the argument, as it's done here, assumes that each mutation must occur one at a time, and only after mutation number 10,563 has occurred and fixed in the population can mutation number 10,564 appear. That's not how evolution happens. The second problem is that once all of these different mutations appear in different individuals, they can become linked via recombination. You may remember crossing over from high school biology. That's what we're talking about here. Every generation, you pass on a mix of your mom's alleles and your dad's alleles to your kids. If one mutation occurred in mom and a different mutation occurred in dad, those two separate changes may be found together in your kids due to recombination. So it's the parallel nature of evolutionary change and the process of recombination bringing separate mutations together that invalidate this argument. But friends, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Haldane wasn't seeing that there was one beneficial mutation per generation. His perspective was that it was one beneficial mutation every 300 generations, which means according to Haldane's own calculations, we would have only ended up with 1,667 beneficial mutations within the allotted time given for that ape-like creature to become a man. We've covered how the rationale behind these calculations are flawed, but let's pretend they're fine and 1,667 does represent some kind of limit in terms of the number of beneficial mutations that could separate humans and our most recent common ancestor with chimps. Has anyone tried to figure out the actual number? Turns out, yes. Different methodologies get you slightly different numbers, but we found that between 240 and 780 beneficial alleles have fixed in the human genome since our most recent common ancestor with the chimpanzee lineage. These numbers are based on surveys of protein coding genes, and it's definitely the case that regulatory changes have also fixed. But even if we double the highest estimate here to account for that, which I'll note is completely unrealistic, regulatory sequences make up a tiny fraction of our genome, even compared to the already small fraction that is protein coding genes, we still come in under the erroneous limit. Friends, Haldane got it right. This is a dilemma and evolutionists cannot grapple with it. A man by the name of uh, Motu Kimura tried to solve this dilemma. Oh, good. Easy did read Wikipedia after all. Came up with something called the neutral a theory or genetic drift, but scientists who've explored that have come to realize that that's silly, it doesn't hold water, and he brought it forth out of necessity because he had to do something to try to show that evolution is a farce. I just don't know what he's talking about here. Neutral theory is very highly regarded and is a backbone of modern evolutionary theory. There was a 2018 piece by Kern and Hahn arguing that neutral processes are less significant than some make it out to be, and perhaps that's what's being referred to, but then we're ignoring the 2019 response arguing for the importance and utility of neutral theory, with which, it's worth noting, Kern and Hahn mostly agreed. So I have no idea where this idea about neutral theory comes from. But friends, there you have it. According to evolution uh, and the time that is given, even on a generous scale, there is not enough time for evolution to be possible. I wish more Christians would use this dilemma. I'm glad my friend John Harris told me about it, but it's powerful. When you present that to an evolutionist and sharing the gospel, which is always our goal, 
they're going to see that it's a dilemma and hopefully it'll be open to the truth of the gospel. As we've just explored, nothing about this argument is true. The underlying assumptions bear no resemblance to how evolution actually happens, ignore that most changes are neutral, and in spite of those problems, the supposed limit is actually higher than the number of documented beneficial changes that have occurred in the human lineage since our most recent common ancestor with chimps. There's no barrier to human evolution here. I hope that encouraged you, and I hope that you recognize Aldane's dilemma is truly the Achilles heel for evolutionists. Achilles heel, Pedro. This is meaning his uh, weaknesses. Oh, oh, the dames, yeah. It's not an Achilles heel, not kryptonite, not a silver bullet. You got any silver bullets? No, oh, me not. Tell me on, then. We run. Your Majesty has a doctor. I recommend a vigorous jog. Good for the health. If you're interested in actual scientific knowledge that isn't 50 years obsolete, Check out Dan's work on his channel, Creation Myths, where he uses science to address creation myths. He's fastly undersubscribed, so head over there today and tell him that Pologia sent you. Next time on Evolution Exposed Exposed, Brian Osborne of Answers in Genesis makes a startling admission. Even many Christians today would say, but wait, how do you know that you know they're up to 6,000 years of age? The Bible doesn't explicitly say that. And it doesn't. See you over there.